Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you, as well as I, know that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset change and success. Look, motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what's going to keep us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you're going to thrive. That's when you will finally live a whole life. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformations so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode which you can utilize to create a change in yourself. Failure is about learning how to embrace your challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. We don't talk about anything that has to do with failing. It's like Uncle Bruno. We don't talk about it. You know, nothing good comes from talking about it, right? Bruno Mangreal is a fictional character who appears in one of my favorite Walt Disney animation pictures, Encanto. It all boils down to the fact that Bruno's habit of predicting terrible events in people's future, which would later come to pass, made people anxious and worry of him ultimately leading him to being ostracized. This is very similar to how people respond to us when we fail. Parents feel anxious when their children fail. Leaders, family, and friends often ostracize us when we fail. Or at best, they patronize us because, what, they don't know how to respond. Well, how can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? You need to learn how to laugh and learn when you fail. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step of your journey. Most of us know what fun is, but what's a failure-tastic moment? You know, I created that word and had it trademarked. So here's what it is. A failure-tastic moment is, you know, you go out and you, you've tried to accomplish a goal or become successful while pursuing an endeavor, but you face failure after failure after failure. Like when I was trying to become an officer, it literally took me several years, but instead of quitting, I never gave up. Because I did not give up, I finally accomplished that goal. And because of that, I accomplished a whole lot more. So accomplishing such a goal or dream would be fantastic, right? No, that would be failure-tastic. So hello, everyone. I am your host, George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing person who is changing the planet with her chosen profession. The incomparable, international, best-selling author, Marissa. Cohen. Hello, Marissa. How are you doing today? Hi, George. I'm so good. Thank you so much for the introduction. That was so sweet. I mean, you know what? You're one of my favorite peeps. You already know that. I'm always impressed with you and what you're doing on the planet today. I appreciate that. And the feeling's mutual. So thank you so much for bringing me onto your show. I think that you're incredible and also changing the planet. Oh, gosh, Marissa. Well, let's do this thing together then, huh? Sounds good. So, hey, look, uh, you know, right before we get started, tell... Uh, 
uh, tell the audience a bit about yourself, your background, and what it is you do to impact the planet. So my name is Marissa F. Cohen. My website is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A, F-A-Y-E, and Cohen, C-O-H-E-N.com. I am a best-selling author. I am an international inspirational speaker, top podcaster, and a healing guide. Not a coach. I'm a guide. Oh, wow. So what do you you know, guide folks through specifically, Marissa? Um, I work with survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, emotional abuse, and anything that kind of falls under that category using my methodology or philosophy, the healing for emotional abuse philosophy. We use the three keys, my three R's, release, resilience, and rebuild to overcome trauma, release what you are holding on to, build resilience like a wall of power and confidence around you, and then rebuild your life, your environment, create a safe space for you in your home and outside. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, during this troubled time in our our nation specifically, and the world at large, man, I can testify to a lot of the problems that my chosen profession prior to me retiring, the United States Army, is actually struggling with this. And uh, it's just really one of those situations where we're trying to figure out how to get a handle on it. And we have a lot that we have to, to try and get done. So it is so wonderful to have professionals such as yourself partnering with us to try to figure this out. You know, the military recently changed its policy on some things to try to figure out how to bring in some outside help. I can tell you right now, you know, being a former commander you know, multiple times, I was never, ever skilled at the types of things that you're talking about when it comes to you know, sexual trauma, abuse, and these kind of things. But I had full authority to make decisions that, you know, I just did not feel equipped to do. So it's amazing. And I'm really happy to know that you're working, you know, not only with the civilian populace, but also working within the confines of the United States government and uh, working to help those of us who were in uniform and those who are still wearing our nation's colors, man. Uh, I, I salute you. And Hats off to you, man. So thank you so much for doing so. I and mean, how long have you actually been in this uh, this particular field? And how did you come about, you know, getting in this field, if you don't mind? Sure. So there is a backstory to why I'm here. I feel like anybody who goes into a profession like this, like speaking about empowerment, um, even what you do, you know, it all comes from a personal experience. For me, when I was in college, I was 19 years old. And my first boyfriend, I'll, I'll call him Oh my gosh, I'll call him Jeff. We'll just say Jeff. So he started out very thoughtful and very charming and he would do things to surprise me and like created this fantasy world that made it seem like I was a princess and he was taking care of me. Like he really just gave me that like fairy tale vibe. And then we started dating and everything quickly spiraled downward. He stopped being so kind and generous. He stopped being so complimentary. He stopped being so charming. And instead, he was incredibly judgmental. He was manipulative. He was rude. He would do things to intentionally make me look bad in front of other people. And we were both on the student government in our college. And I was I held an executive position. So undermining me and making me seem stupid was very powerful for him because it allowed other people to disrespect me, which then validated his disrespect of me. And it just kind of got so much worse from there, right? So it started off with all of that and and him calling me names and making fun of the major I chose. And then it kind of escalated into like very personal. So I was stupid. I was going to rely on him forever. I was worthless. You know, if it wasn't for him, I would be alone because nobody else would ever deal with me. And it really just, it did a 
ton of damage to my self-esteem, to my confidence, and to, to just my personality. I felt very lost and very unimportant and very silenced. And it impacted a lot of my personality and what he was able to do. You know, fast forward a couple months, I had not been a very experienced person in the realm of dating. My first sexual experiences in various categories were all non-consensual and forced on me by him. So all of these things contributed to just like becoming this empty shell of a person. I didn't have a personality anymore. I just stayed as quiet as possible because I just didn't feel whole. You know, in cartoons, George, when when they like shoot a cannonball through the coyote's stomach and, and it goes through and you see this big hole. That's kind of what I felt like all the time. I felt like there was this big empty hole in my stomach and I didn't know how to fill it. So I tried a lot of really negative ways, like risky behaviors to try and fill that hole. I continuously disrespected myself and, you know, kind of allowed people who didn't deserve to be in my space. I allowed them in my space because I was trying to fill that emptiness and try and understand why I was having all of these experiences and nothing was kind of satisfying that. So it was a lot of exploration, but long story short, I started talking about what I had experienced with friends and with colleagues in another college that I transferred to. And I started to realize how common my experience was and that I wasn't alone. And the more I spoke about it, the more relatable I felt and the more I understood that this is a much bigger problem than me. And so um, I did a lot of self-healing. I used writing a lot. I used being active a lot to, to help build my confidence back up and get to know who I was after all of that. And now, here, you know, my goal in life is to shorten that need for the healing after for everyone else. So if I can contribute to your healing journey in any way to expedite it so you don't feel, you know, for lack of a better term, you don't feel like a piece of garbage, you don't feel like an empty, worthless plastic bag, which is pretty much what I felt like all the time, you know, I don't want anyone else to feel that way. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. But at this point in our society, it's inevitable that people will experience this. So I want to kind of cut down that healing time and make people know that they are not alone, that they are relatable, that they have allies that are here to help them. Wow. Wow. I got chills here now. That is powerful. Let, let me start off by, 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 by saying this. is that um, uh, Thank you for making yourself so vulnerable. You know, this is, uh, I, I can't imagine, right? I, I got a little story I'll show up in a second, but it's nowhere near as, uh, as traumatizing as something that you experienced. But man, I, I just kept thinking, you know what? Out of all of this experiences that you actually endured, man, you're going to create tons of failure-tastic moments, right? Because people are going to go through and figure out how to get from where they are to where they're supposed to be with the strength and the power and the support that you're giving them. And uh, as, you know, most who've been on uh, paying attention to what this podcast is about. You know, the whole point of the podcast is to talk about how failure is not the problem, right? It's how we respond to those things that actually happen. And I can tell you, I don't know who the people are uh, that was in your, your stratosphere there, but uh, there was a lot of leadership failures. I guarantee you, there were, there were somewhere along the way, there were some people who were plugged into a system that could have actually prevented some of these kinds of things. And that's what's happening just, just all over the planet just tons and tons and tons of failure. You know, people are made to feel like they are the problem, you know, as opposed to these issues being cast upon them and those kinds of things. But I tell you, folks, if you're out there listening here, pay real close attention to what uh, she is actually saying, because if you want to know how uh, to become empowered, uh, please reach out to uh, Marissa. She will definitely 
uh, help you, uh, you know, get from where you are to where you're supposed to be, give you the strength and the ability and just the support and the knowledge and the wisdom from the experiences that she herself has actually endured. So again, thank you for actually sharing that and liking unto what you just said. You know, I was, you know, I was always an athlete, pretty strong guy, you know, work out all the time, but something happened similarly to, to your experience, not exactly, but I was on a college campus, first time away from home. And, uh, you know, I'd gone to college on a professional, oh, professional, that's what I wanted to be. I didn't make that, but on a college football scholarship, right? And we didn't know what it was at the time when I was going through. It was just one of those indoctrination kinds of situations. But what had happened is just for, I don't know how long this was taking place, but it was one of these situations where they brought in all the freshmen, took us all to the to the showers, made us all strip down, man, and, you know, literally shave our pubic hair and these kinds of things, right? Yeah. First of all, I resisted. And they said, look, if you want to be on this team, it's what you're going to have to do. And literally, these big guys crowded around you and literally forced us to do this sort of thing, uh, you know, just shaving these kinds of things. It was dry shave, right? No <laughs> shaving cream or any of that sort of stuff. But when kids are away from home, and, and you don't know, right? But what I did is I went to, to the, uh, the head football coach the next day and protest. and say, look here, guess what happened to us? So, Coach, you know, these guys – all he said was, hey, look, dude, suck it up. This is part of the program. If you want to be on this team here, this is something that you have to do to be indoctrinated. And, you know, you want to be on the team, move on out. And, and that was that, that was the end of it. And we just basically just kind of all, you know, sucked it up, all the freshmen and all the other guys snickering and laughing, the seniors, that kind of stuff. So what happens here in situations like this? Number one, we didn't. I, I would have never thought in a thousand years that something like that would happen on the college campus, especially among, you know, church-going folk. Does that make sense? And uh, these people that you saw, I mean, literally people that I saw in church and these kind of things, you know, Sundays and, you know, um, uh, fellowship of Christian athletes and that sort of thing. They act as though it wasn't that big of a deal. But I think, I know in the military, you know, there's no more problem that we have oftentimes when it comes to these kinds of things, when it comes to males. It don't only happen to females, it happens to males a lot. We don't typically report it. But a lot of hazing goes on, you know, when it comes to, to men and, and these kind of things and uh, too. But just wanted to share that little story with the audience and with you just to let them know that, look, when things like that happen and people fail us, man, it's not the failure that actually is the issue. It's how we respond to that. And you're responding in a way that's going to be so empowering for folks, Marissa. So uh, thank you again for actually helping with that. So when it comes to you know our successes, I know for me, the reason that I was even remotely successful was because of a lot of the failures in which I endured early on and just throughout my life. But how has uh, failures actually contributed to your success? Well, there's actually a lot of areas in my life where I experienced failure and either like had the choice to either let that define me or grow from it. First and foremost, and I don't consider this necessarily my failure, but my failure to see red flags. And that's mostly because I never learned about red flags. So I didn't know what to look for. And I had never really had a relationship before. So I didn't have any comparison. But my failure to recognize and identify red flags led me to staying in that relationship for a much longer period of time than I should. But again, I don't necessarily contribute that to like a failure failure, but where that kind of comes full circle is when I started recognizing the red flags and made the choice to leave. And then in future relationships, seeing those red flags that I had missed the first time and acting accordingly. Like, oh, I don't want to be in that relationship because that looks eerily similar to the things that Jeff used to do. And so I think the term failure there is is my failure to recognize, not like a failure that I necessarily had. Other failures, I mean, in business, I mean, who doesn't fail in business, 
right? It's impossible to just know all the right answers. I made a lot of silly mistakes that I learned and grew from and didn't let define me or stop me. I can't really think of a good example, but like some marketing material I bought. Oh my gosh, this was so dumb. I bought, st- <laughs> I was, I was speaking at a conference and I bought stickers and I was trying to be like kitschy with the marked safe from meme. And I wrote, instead of doing something that was actually funny and kitschy, I did, um, you know, you have been marked safe from like abusive relationships today. And I didn't realize when I printed them that it was in poor taste, you know, so I, a couple people took them, but most people were like, I don't want that. Not a big failure, you know, but it was something that like I had to truly learn from. Moving forward, I was way more attentive to my verbiage and to like utilizing culture and society in a more positive way. So I don't use those stickers anymore. I have like 500 of them sitting in a box in my bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. That's great. Look, you bring up a very important point, very important point. I'm glad that you did this because it gives me an opportunity to kind of speak to it a little bit when it comes to failure. Oftentimes, when we get into situations where other people's decisions impact our lives, oftentimes we blame ourselves, right? And we consider that a failure on our behalf, but it really and truly isn't. You know, being taken advantage of, that's not something by which you caused or created. And I, I think there are a lot of folks who can identify with what you've just said. I mean, I can personally because I, I didn't know what was going to happen in that shower, right? So I love the way you said that you don't necessarily consider it a personal failure, and nor do I. But oftentimes when we are unaware and things like this happen to us, we blame ourselves, right? And we just don't need to do that. That's just not something in which we need to do. We don't need to take the decisions that others made that impacted us in a negative way. And actually, you know, create situations for ourselves that are overwhelming. Oftentimes, it takes a long time to get beyond. And sometimes we fall into those traps where we go way deep before we can actually come back up and see the lights. I think it's really important for the audience to understand that in no way are we saying or insinuating that you failed yourself because of some decisions that Jeff made. And that's just not the case. And I don't want anybody to ever feel that way uh, when when it comes to the failure. But I do love how you took that. And you, you came wiser, stronger, better because of that. And now you're helping other people do that sort of thing. So can you give me a, an example a bit of how you help those that you lead experience failure in a positive way? Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of ways that I do that. So in speaking, I speak primarily, as George said, at military bases, corporations, and colleges and universities. So each program is built around different concepts, you know, so I'll speak about what red flags look like and yellow flags and green flags so that students know the difference and know how to identify them. And had they experienced something like that previously, which a lot of people have by the time you're in college, especially high school relationships can be really, really toxic. I help them see the real problems in their relationships, in their past relationships or in potential future relationships and give them the opportunity to make the decision to make better choices or, you know, avoid certain people because they have those actions. But in like one-on-one coaching, or I call it, you know, being a guide, identifying experiences that you had and kind of changing them so that, like you said before, you don't blame yourself. 
because we are very conditioned to blame ourselves when we're being abused or if we've been sexually assaulted. We're basically convinced that we're the reason for it, right? Whether it's, you know, what we were wearing, we, you know, if we were out drinking socially, you know, maybe we shouldn't have drank so much or done drugs or no matter what you do that brings you to the point that you're being abused, it was not your fault. And that's something that we really highlight. So one of the exercises that I'll do to help people see that this might be a temporary failure, you know, air quotes, failure, instead of letting that stop you and and stop your life where you are and define who you are, let's now kind of reframe it and see how we can turn that into a positive. So a lot of people identify with that and say, oh, well, I want to take what I experienced and help others to not experience that or to see that they're not alone. And so that's a really good way to reverse a quote failure, right? Is how do I now use this to help other people? And that's exactly what I did. You don't have to do it the same way I did. You know, I wrote books about it. I coach about it. I have a podcast about it, but you can do other things, whether it's volunteering or working for an organization, helping people when they're in the thick of it, talking about it, joining groups about it. There's a million things that you could do. And like I said, one of the biggest exercises that I do is help people write about it. You know, if you are struggling and you're blaming yourself for all this stuff, why are you doing that? So let's write about it. Let's make a list of all the reasons you're at fault, which will be none, right? Easy to refute. And then let's make a list of all the reasons that your previous partner or the person who abused you is at fault. And that's a full list, you know, so you're already kind of teaching yourself, okay, maybe this isn't my fault. I didn't make these choices. You know, the perpetrator had the choice and I didn't. Reframing in that way by looking at your failures from a different perspective could be a really good tool that anybody could use, not just the survivor community. Oh, wow. That's that's powerful. Uh, you know what I did when you talked about making a list? I, I actually like that. What I did, I did something a little similar, right? It's not really a list, but I came up with this, this equation for when I fell. It is very, very basic, but I'm a very basic, very simple kind of guy, right? So I try to keep it really, really simple. So I'll come up with this little equation. And, and all it is, it, the acronym, it's F plus RR equals S. That's failure plus right response equals success. So anytime I have a failure, right, I always remind myself of this equation. Dude, it's, it's not necessarily the, the failure, right, that's actually taking place. That's the issue. The issue is how do I respond to that? And they're bringing about my success and that sort of thing. No matter, I mean, large scale, small scale, whatever, but and it works uh, for me or it has done so. So I think it's incredibly important uh, that the audience, uh, you know, pay attention to what you said about the list. I think that is, you know, it's a great idea, right? Because when we try to, you know, our mind is always so active in the heat of the moment. We're thinking about this stuff and then we try to go back later and remember what it was and sometimes what lost. So I think it's a keen idea to write those things down to try to help you process this information and actually help with recovering from it and that sort of thing. And and how I try to recover is by using that that very simple equation, man. It's done wonderful things for me, to be quite honest. Uh, One of the things that I often like talking about, and uh, I I might challenge you on this depending on your answer, right? I think it's something that we need to to think about. And I think this kind of ties into what you're talking about and discussing today. So when it comes to failure, what, what are your thoughts on the topic of being afraid of failure? You know, you hear people say, man, you know, I don't try this or I don't do that because I'm afraid of failing, mm-hmm. right? I have a little twist on this, but I want to hear your answer first, uh, Marissa, and just kind of see what your thoughts are when it, when it comes to that particular word. 
personally, in pretty much any avenue of your life, I think being afraid of failure is your biggest mistake. Mm. Because if you're not willing to take the risk and fail and then learn from that failure, then you're really not going to ever progress, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody fails. Like you always say, George, it's not about the failure. It's about the right response. So you fail, you get back up. You fail, you get back up. That's how people thrive. You know, Steve Jobs didn't just like invent Apple one day and say, oh, I'm done. Like he failed a ton. Oprah was not always Oprah. Oprah was fired from jobs. Oprah wasn't famous until like, what was it, her 30s or 40s? I mean, she really failed a ton, like a like a lot. But instead of letting that define her, she got back up, figured it out, kept failing until she became freaking Oprah, you know? So if you're so afraid of failure that you're not willing to try, then I don't think that you want it enough. Oh, great answer. Man, look, I love how you answered that. That's, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you obviously have been at this for a while and uh, you've thought it through. Unfortunately, a lot of folks, Marissa, they don't think this through at all. You know, when folks say, and here's what I want to challenge you on, you know, but I love your answer. But uh, when, when people say, you know, I'm afraid of failing, I, I just think that's another one of those colloquialisms where people have been taught to say that sort of thing because they don't, you know, they've never really thought about it. So liken unto what you said, you know, earlier in your, your statement, here's how I see and here's how I answer when someone says they're afraid of failing. I said, well, no, I don't think it's the failure that you are fearful of. What I think most people are fearful of is the stigma associated with the failure, right? Yep, absolutely. It's, it, it's really, it's, it's not really the failure because people know that they're going to ultimately fail. But the thing that we don't often deal with is the stigma associated with that. And I come up with this, again, you know, I'm a military guy, so we got a lot of acronyms in the military, right? And I come up with a, an acronym for stigma in reference to this, and it's shameful thoughts I give myself anxiously. Let me say that again. Stigma, shameful thoughts I give myself anxiously. Wow, that's powerful. I like that a lot. Right? Oh, man. Yeah, gosh, thank you. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, because of this failure thing, I mean, I've been at it, so so long. I mean, I've gotten a lot better at it, you know. Now, but early on, I mean, I thought I was afraid of failing, but I was really afraid of the stigma associated with it. stigma. Meaning, how are people going to look at me? How are people going to relate to me? What sort of value are they going to, you know, associate me with that failure? You know, all of that's that stigma that comes along with it. But we've been, you know, taught to believe that. Well, it's really the the failure. You know, no, I'm not going to try that because I'm afraid of failing. No, no, what you're really afraid of is if you don't succeed, how folks are going to look at you. And how folks are going to badmouth you and how folks are going to talk to you and how folks are going to talk down to you. When you get a handle on this and, and you realize it's really the stigma, now, as you've been saying, you don't allow for that to determine who you are and what has actually happened to you, right? You use that to empower yourself to move beyond, you know, what. It, and, and I don't want to minimize, uh, you know, this is a very tough topic for some. I mean, it really truly is. And I don't want to uh, to minimize, you know, people's failings or, or, or those things that happen to them that's beyond their control. But I do want to empower people to make the right decisions when it comes to, you know, to family. Don't let it keep you back. Don't let it keep you down and that sort of thing. So what I often do is I always try to make failure fun. You know, I'm always talking about making it failure-tastic. I mean, you gave, gave some great examples of the failure-tastic piece, but people are always asking me, what do you mean by trying to make failure fun? Why does failure have to be so gloom and doom? I remember one of the ways that I made a failure fund. And actually, it worked. Is I, I was terrible at taking the test. And what happened here is I, I was so focused on trying to pass the exam 
that I, I would study and study and study and would have the information, right? So what I decided to do is I decided that, look, I'm going to make a joke out of this. That's what I'm going to do. So what I would do, being an athlete, athletes, even Christian athletes, quote unquote, are very superstitious people. <laughs> I don't know how you can be, but we are. So there came a time in which before I would take an exam, I would say this. I know what I know, and I don't know no more. <laughs> I, I swear to you, I would right before an exam, I would always say that. Now, prior to coming up with making you know failure fun by making that little quote and having a little giggle, I would worry about the failure. I would worry about what kind of grade I'm going to get. I was so worried about you know what grade I was going to make, whether or not I was going to pass, and I, I would totally not focus on what I knew in terms of the answers, right? But amazingly for me, when I made it a little joke, right? And says, look, I know what I know and I don't know them all. And that's it. I literally, literally began to start passing exams because I freed myself of that pressure, right? Of worrying about failing. I knew what I'd studied. If I was lucky enough to get a professor who'd actually, you know, gave out the information or the exam on items that I'd studied, then I'm going to ace it and I'm going to do well. But if I just happened to not study the stuff that he or she gave to me, then look, man, I, I didn't study that. So why should I beat myself up? Why should I worry about that? I mean, you can't learn everything that they're going to, right? You know, different people study in different kinds of ways. So what I did is I made failure, you know, fun by just, you know, that's just one little thing that I did to, you know, to make it okay to fail, right? And not to take it so personally. Because there are two interactions here. One is the exam being given to me taking the exam. And that's one thing. So when I got to a point to where I was comfortable, you know, with the failure, then that little, you know, I know what I know. And I don't know no more. That's it. I mean, and I didn't take it so personally. And I began to make much, much, much better grades. Felt a lot better about myself. I wasn't nearly as stressed going into an exam because I already knew. I know what I knew. I'd studied and, and I was done there. What about you? Can you think of, and I know this is just off the cuff, and I don't know if a lot of people think about this, but can you think of anything that you have ever done or that you could possibly do to make your failing fun? I want the audience to kind of get in the habit of understanding what that is instead of taking it so seriously. Making failure fun. Have I ever done anything like that? Wow, now you caught me off guard. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I've ever done anything to intentionally make failure fun, but I learned after all of my experiences that it's better and easier to like laugh at myself than it is to get mad. So when I, I have a lot of brain farts, my brain moves faster than my mouth a lot of the time. And so I'll be like three sentences ahead in my head while I'm still talking and I'll end up saying something really dumb. And so instead of getting embarrassed and like stopping myself from saying things, because I know people who don't speak out loud or don't really share their ideas or their thoughts because they have something similar or they're afraid of saying something dumb. I just say it. And if I screw it up, like I laugh at myself or we make a big joke out of it. My husband does the same thing. Like if I say, you know, if I Freudian slip and say something silly or I speak and my brain is somewhere else and I'm not making sense, he'll just like call me out on it and we laugh at it. You know, it's not something that is holding me back from sharing. Is that like kind well, of that's, what you're That's really the point. Marissa, if you really think about it, right? I mean, when I talk about making failure fun, right? It's simply saying, laugh at your failures, right? Don't take them so seriously. But mm -hmm. we have been done, uh, taught just the opposite. You have to take every failure so seriously because if you don't, no, that's, no, man. 
why is it that you know you know success has to be all you know all positive and all you know powerful no, that's not the way that it works i know a lot of successful people some of the most miserable people on the planet right? <laughs> sure. i mean that's just kind of how it works so my thing is that you know in, in the same way that we can empower that one word success to gain momentum we can empower that one word failure to gain even more success because we learn way more from our failures than we ever do from our successes, right? I mean, what does success really teach us? <laughs> Man, I've read books on Oprah Winfrey. You mentioned Mark Cuban. I've, I've followed him for quite some time. Jack Canfield, right? You name it. You talk about these guys. Yeah, nobody that we know never failed, right? Yeah. Like you, they, people get to, and you can read it in any book, any biography from anyone famous or successful that right before they skyrocketed, they were failing like crazy. Like they hit rock bottom and had to figure out how to get to the top. And that was the moment that propelled them straight. Up. Totally agree. I mean, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Steve Jobs, right? And how, you know, how smart he is. Yeah. Brilliant guy. But look at a lot of the failures that he actually had. I mean, this guy starts a company and gets fired from it. <laughs> yeah, he got fired from his own company. His own yeah. company. But what he did is he used that equation, right? L plus R equals S. He used that failure, responded in the right sorts of way, and came back. You ever heard of Pixar? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. No, we always learn way more from our failures than we ever have and do from our successes. And the reason for that is because they choose not to allow for their failures to be, you know, the end of their story. See, failure is not the end. Is actually the beginning if we look at this in the right sorts of ways. But uh, look, you know what? This has been fantastic talking with you, and I am one of your biggest admirers. If you had one parting word for the audience, reference uh, what it is you do, how you want them to contact you, uh, anything that you'd like to say, uh, how would you go about doing so? So, a piece of leaving advice. This is my favorite quote. And it actually was the quote that got me through all of the crap that I went through in college. The experience that I mentioned earlier is not the only experience I had that was adverse in terms of relationships. This quote got me through all of it. And it was, life's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And that means so much to me because even with, I hope you don't mind if I curse on here, but even with the shit storm of things I was dealing with all at once, it was learning how to dance in it, how to navigate it, how to laugh at it. That really honestly got me here, like to to be alive here today. I've had my highest highs and my lowest lows and the lowest lows made the highest highs that much more valuable and worth celebrating. So don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on yourself. You've got this. Just learn how to dance in your rain. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, whether it's just for advice or, you know, healing guide or any reason you, if something I said touched you and you feel, you know, inclined to reach out, my email, my personal email is me, M-E at marissafaycohen.com. That's M-E at M-A-R-I-S-S-A-F-A-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N.com. Oh, wow. Marissa, thank you so much for that. Hey, hey guys, look, go out and, uh, you know, reach out to her. I mean, bring her in to speak to your folks about some of the things she's actually doing. She's great at that. Uh, her trainings are fantastic. Look, I've gotten all of her books. So please, if you want to really, you know, get an in-depth training and learn a lot more in terms of what she's actually saying, she's just glossing over some really, really deep stuff. Go out and get her books, man. Uh, wow, this has been, you know, fun. This has been really good, Marissa. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, coming on the show and sharing with us. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgiemilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.